This is Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab, your host, Greg Gazin, speaker, blogger, author, and syndicated veteran columnist of Troy Media. Episode 161, Recognizing and Harnessing Life-Changing Moments. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Toastcaster. This is Greg Gazin. About a month ago, or a little bit more than that, District 42 Toastmasters at Southern Alberta, Southern Saskatchewan, asked me to be their opening keynote speaker for their conference. And their conference was entitled, Strike the Right Note. They had also asked me to find a way of incorporating the Toastmasters program, Pathways, into my keynote speech. Many of us over the last couple of years have experienced life-changing moments, and I thought, that would be a great message to pass along. Here's the audio of that Zoom recording from that given speech. In Greg's keynote session today called Recognizing and Harnessing Life-Changing Moments, you're going to hear ways that you can recognize life-changing moments and learn the tips to harness them to keep you catching your second wind and keeping your sail in the right direction. So here is Greg Gazin with Recognizing and Harnessing Life-Changing Moments. Thank you very much, Mr. Toastmaster and fellow Toastmasters. And Keith, I'm really sorry, but this keynote is not about podcasting. Your conference chair <laughs> had made that decision for me. But nevertheless, fellow Toastmasters and guests, I want you all to think back to a moment in time that you'll never, ever forget. For me, the scene, the East End Boys and Girls Club, I was late in my teens in Montreal. In fact, I see, I see Jimmy right there. Hey, Jimmy, you're back. I, I thought you were out of this place. I, I thought you were never coming back, but you're here. Greg, I don't want to talk about it. I, I don't want to talk about it. Calgary is a horrible place. Gasp. It's cold. It's dry, and they don't have a hockey team. Now, before all of you, especially the sports fans, feel offended, this yes is, of course, Alberta, but at that time, the Flames were still in Atlanta, and they wouldn't be in Calgary for probably another year or so. So Jimmy goes on and on about the good and the bad and the ugly of Cowtown, wah, 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 wah. And all I thought of was, that sounds kind of interesting. Not long after, I actually started evaluating the treadmill of my, of my own reality, working, going to school, working, going to school, and the year before, I was hit by a car, and Things in Quebec were in turmoil, and we, everyone thought that separation was imminent. The big thing was, had friends, had older brother, brothers and sisters graduating from university, and they weren't getting any jobs. So I started thinking about Calgary. And at that time, all I knew about was the stampede, and I thought to myself, well, how bad can the place be, right? At that time, the internet consisted of a library and newspapers. So, Hey, did my research, Calgary Herald, OMG. There was a lot of stuff happening in Calgary. It was booming and jobs were plentiful. So I started mulling it over, mulling it over. Believe it or not, my parents were actually all for it. My dad said, go with young man. My mom said, well, you could always come home. So I quit my job, dropped all my courses and bought a one-way ticket to Calgary. Now I said I was young, but I was also a little foolish. Third week of January. Fortunately, I experienced my first Chinook a couple of days later. But the thing is, fellow Toastmasters and guests, if I hadn't listened to Jimmy's rant, I can guarantee you that I wouldn't be here today. 
You see, life-changing moments, they happen all the time. They show up in all different types and shapes and sizes. I mean, some are pretty obvious. You lose a job, perhaps a loved one, divorce, an accident, oh, pandemic. But not all of them are crises. New job, getting married, having a child, a scholarship. I thought I might include lottery in there, but that sometimes can be a mixed blessing. But the reality is some of the most life-changing moments are often disguised, like what happened to me. Passes by only being noticed in hindsight, maybe. You see, a life-changing moment, by definition, changes your life, but it also changes you. No, it transforms you. I mean, who knew a seemingly inconsequential moment in time with a buddy would, would become life-changing? So I'm actually kind of curious. I only see some faces on the screens, lots of empty screens, but how many of you have experienced that? Have any of you experienced that? Maybe when you first joined Toastmasters, but you didn't really realize it at the time? So today I want to share with you some of my adventures and, and misadventures and some of the lessons along the way, but more importantly for tonight, how Toastmasters played a role in some of those, which might surprise you what a difference it would have made if Pathways had actually been around a little earlier. And what I'm really hoping is that by the end of all this, that it'll strike a chord with you and in some way you'll be able to come away being able to better recognize a life-changing moment and harness it to help you on your own journey. So to continue on this little journey, eight months later, I'm now in Edmonton and I've been here ever since. And I entered the world of IT for a financial institution. And I quickly discovered that <laughs> suits and bureaucracy just weren't my thing. However, I had a mortgage by then and back then it was double digits, not like today. And I wasn't ready to jump ship. So I decided to go back to university just part-time at U of A and continued my work. And then I got to the point where I had one year left I dropped to part-time work and went full-time. Now, the beauty of being on campus all the time is that you can get into all kinds of trouble, right? Beer garden, student union, but I actually decided to join this newly formed Young Executives Club. And at that point, I was kind of shy and introverted, but I wanted to get involved, so I took on the role of secretary. And that February, we went to a conference in California, entrepreneurship conference. Now, for those of you who remember the 80s, Entrepreneurship really wasn't in vogue. And if you had a home-based business, shame on you. Nobody would even take you seriously, let alone get you financing. I mean, not like it is today. But this conference, they were honoring the top 100 entrepreneurs from the previous year. And the number one entrepreneur and the guy giving the keynote was none other than my hero, Steve Jobs. Now, Steve also was having a life-changing moment because at that point, he was just booted out of Apple. And he was going to be on to his next venture, which ironically was called Next. One of the things he said in his keynote has stuck with me forever. He said, use your mind, but follow your heart. Use your mind, but follow your heart. In a few months, I graduated. I went back to university. And I really, really, really wanted to start my own business. So I rang up a guy that I had actually met having lunch at the conference, and he, I think, was number 30 or 40 on the list somewhere. And I started importing computer supplies, and I started selling them, a little company called Parallel 2000. But within two years, I kept hearing Steve's words in my head, use your mind, follow your heart. Greg, you had a great job, my mind said. My heart said I really wanted to do something else. So... I, opened, I started a little retail operation called the Bytrack and left my job. 
Now, this was before all the big box stores happened. So, of course, you can know, you know what happens after that. By the late 1990s, I mean, the writing was on the wall and I had an opportunity to sell out, so I did. It was a good thing that I did because I'd have another life-changing moment very quickly. My dad suffered a stroke. Now, he never did fully recover, but within a year, he managed to stabilize. And for me, it's strange. It seems that one door closes and another one just seems to open. And I started doing some of my regular things. And one night, went to the basement of the Edmonton Public Library. There's a little theater down there. And I saw this band called Rubber Soul, the Canadian tribute, a Beatles tribute band. These guys were phenomenal. They had three guys from Calgary and two guys from Edmonton. And one of them played off stage because there's only the Fab Four. And I became friends with these guys. The guy who was the Ringo, I mean, we were all Beatle fans. The guy who played Ringo actually lived not very far from me. And we, like I said, we became friends. And I thought, I sold the business. Maybe it's time to do something. These guys should really get more work because they're really good. I took on managing them. I thought, well, it's weekend work, most of it. And all the stuff that I did, I still had my little parallel 2000 business, but most of that could be done by, by phone or by on, on my computer. Now that lasted about three and a half years. But again, with the good, there's always the bad and the ugly. And I want to share a little bit of all that with you. Some of the highlights well, in the bite track. Well, I have to admit, I, I think I made a pretty good living and we had our own brand of computers called Canoe. And I managed to, at the peak, employ 12 individuals. With the band, we released a live CD, and I'll show you a couple pictures a little later. We recorded live at Festival Place in Sherwood Park. We had some high-profile shows, Telesfield. We did children's festivals. We also were part of the huge 60s exhibit at the Provincial Museum. In one year, we did 53 shows, and we entertained tens of thousands. Now, to pull back the curtain just a little, a little of the dark side, with the bite track, we were successful. We became... We, were, we had opportunities to be on some of the larger bidding lists. And one time we had an opportunity to bid on a significant number of computers. So our team put together this beautiful proposal, nicely, nicely bound, and off I went to the submissions office. Found the place to drop it off, dropped it off, turned to walk away, and then I hear, excuse me, take this envelope, sit down, you have to present to the panel. Oh, present? Panel? Panic. I looked around the room. Everyone was smartly dressed in me. I was in my t-shirt and jeans. But it wasn't what I was wearing that was the problem. It was what was underneath. There was something missing. Confidence. I just did not have the confidence. Now, how many of you here have read Susan Jeffers' book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway? <laughs> Guess what? I hadn't yet read that book. So I looked for a sign. The exit sign. And I left. I never presented. And to this day, I'll never know whether or not that bid would have been successful. And reflecting back, I don't know how many other opportunities I would have missed. In fact, the scene could be best described by comedian Jerry Seinfeld when he said, you know, people fear public speaking more than they fear death. Yeah. In fact, the guy delivering the eulogy would rather be in the coffin because it, it wasn't until years later that I, would that I would discover something that would help me boldly go where I've never been before. No, it wasn't the latest Star Trek. It was, it was Toastmasters because 
Toastmasters can take you to incredible places. And I know a number of you, I see your names, you've been around for a while and you know that. But <laughs> I was still a little cocky and a lot of time had passed since that fateful day. And I thought I didn't really need Toastmasters, but I was coerced with copious amounts of caffeine and I joined. And then of course came table topics, my first table topic. I don't remember what the question was. I don't remember what the theme was, but when the stopwatch stopped, I didn't quite hit 12 seconds. And then it was, be me out of here, Scotty. I'm not coming back. The, the club reached out to me and I came back. Now I was gonna ask how many of you out there who have, have had their lives changed by Toastmasters, but again, seeing the names on the screen and some of the faces, I know some of you have had significant changes in your life. Now I know, I'm, and I guess I'm preaching, you, I'm preaching to the converted. For those of you who are new, almost anything is possible. In fact, early on, my, sadly, my dad had passed away and uh, I actually did a, I did a eulogy. The fellow who sponsored me in Toastmasters, the guy who twisted my arm, knew my dad. He came to the funeral, he even gave me an evaluation for my eulogy. Embracing the role of VPPR helped me with the PR for the band, PR for the business. And I even had an opportunity to be interviewed by Mike Sobel on global television, which again, table topics. I started doing seminars at the Business Link. I even started the Toastmasters podcast, which is something that was unheard of in 2006. And it helped me launch a speaking career, which at that time probably would have been one of the last things I'd, I'd want to do. Toastmasters helps you navigate those life-changing moments. But as you work on the program, it ends up starting to create more of them, right? Each time you do something, each subsequent step keeps building up and building up and building up, and then it snowballs takes you to new galaxies. And for me as a self-employed individual, becoming the district governor, now you call it district director, in 2010, overseeing at that time, I think it was almost 6,000 members and 265 clubs. Again, never on my radar. <laughs> I, had to, <laughs> I had to pinch myself, like what's a gadget guy like me doing in a place like this? In fact, Glenn Williams, some of you know him, he actually referred to me as the poster child for Toastmasters. And at that time, I didn't think that was actually very endearing. <laughs> but what he was trying to say that I was a product of, of the program. And truthfully, yeah, I was and I am. And I'm just grateful for it. I learned a lot from the Toastmasters Legacy Program. And despite now everyone seeing some of its limitations, right? It helped fill for me many gaps in both my professional and my Toastmasters journey, but not necessarily all the bumps along the way. You see, as a Toastmaster, our natural tendency, we want to get feedback, we want to improve. Okay, okay. I know some of you are going to say, Greg, you just dwell on this too much. To this day, I, I reflect back and I can't help but think, I could have done better, right? Things could have run smoother. And when I look at any project, I always pick up those examples, the bike track, the rubber sole, the band, et cetera, et cetera. I always pick, those, pick up those examples. And then I realize, I think back, okay, this is what I knew then, this is what I know now. And I think back, okay, that could have just filled that gap. That's why, fellow Toastmasters, is that in the open, I mentioned that what a difference I think everything would have made to me if Pathways had been around, let's say, a decade or so earlier. Now, at first, it's not, it's not evident, okay? But Pathways is like a box of Cracker Jacks. Inside, you find a surprise, and some of which you end up having more of. I just wish I knew then. So I want to share with you Three examples, and maybe we'll pick one from each of my journeys. 
The first one is the Pathways Mentorship Program. Now, again, odd question. I see there's a lot of people here that are going to say yes, but I'll ask anyway. How many of you here have taken on a leadership role beyond the club? Area director, division director, right? Again, back then they were called governors. Yeah. Typically, uh, I see all the hands going up. Typically, you're appointed in May, right? You get trained May, June, and you start your year July 1st, and then you end June 30th. But when you really get good at it is but at the end, right? Yeah, exactly. When it's almost over. For me, one night I was having coffee after a meeting. We had a few of us that went to Boston Pizza. We went off and a fellow named Bill McKenzie, he was the division governor at the time and everyone had left. And I asked this, I asked this innocent question and I said, what's an area governor? <laughs> what a big mistake that was because a big fishing rod came out. And all of a sudden within 10 days, I am now an area governor. And here's the funny thing though is, well, I guess it wasn't funny at the time. This was the end of August, already two months into the term. Now that year I was VP Ed, I was running two businesses, I was still taking care of my ailing dad. And sadly within six months, some of you, many of you know this, is that Bill took ill. And immediately it was assumed, oh, Greg will take on that role, it's no problem. So I, I took on that role halfway through my area governor term without any formal training. Yeah, it, it was an interesting time. Now, I did have a lot of help. There's always people that are willing to help, but it was a struggle. And it, it took me into my next year. And But fortunately for me, there was one individual, I guess that this is the division governor year. I had an angel and many of you know her. She could be very loud and very vocal and has a cackling laugh, but with a heart a mile long. Yes, of course, it's Mona Cooley. She was the district governor that year, and she took me under her wing. But despite getting having an early start, writing, starting early as a division governor, division and area are very different. It requires a very different, very different skill set. And I still remember that my word of the day many days was overwhelmed and overwhelming. Mona would regularly call me and, and she'd say, hi, Greg, how you doing? I'm overwhelmed, Mona. She says, I know, let's fix that for you. Now, with her guidance and the help of others, of course, is our division was president's distinguished and the district was distinguished that year. Those two years were amazing. And we made a difference to a lot of people. Personal growth for me was just incredible. Now, I know a lot of you have already taken on the role and I see, I saw a few hands that didn't go up. If you have an opportunity to take that role, no matter what anybody tells you, like area director or division director, just do it. However, I firmly believe if there was a formal mentorship process at that time like we have now, that I think I would have had a better understanding of the mentor-mentee relationship. And my tenure probably as area governor and, and the transition to division, I think probably would have been an easier one. I think, I believe. That's my first example. The second example is my years at the bike track. We were expanding and we needed qualified people. And like today, they're so hard to find. So I ended up acquiring a three-person operation. They were very tight-knit, different management styles, different business cultures. I think you get it, right? Now we made it work, but reflecting back, if perhaps I might've refined my skills at, let's say, reaching consensus and successful collaboration, I think perhaps things, again, would have run a lot smoother. Third one, the rubber sole. 
pick a path, any path, any project, any competency, there's going to be something there. I made so many mistakes in my early days at Rubber Soul. I did that thing where you hear some people say you work in your business instead of on your business. That's what I did. You see, the lads, the British lads, they were the talent. And I had this attitude, the show must happen, the show must go on. But I, wore, I ended up wearing too many hats and I really made a mistake. I seemed to be always at their beck and call. I was putting up equipment. I was a water boy. I got them their beer in addition to managing the operation. And one of the guys, well, let's just say he was quite the prima donna. I think up front, I set the wrong tone. And what ended up happening is they started looking at me as hired help rather than being a leader. And once you set that tone, once you let that go, there's really no coming back from it. It's hard to change it. I guess you could say initially I, I let my lack of knowledge and the nuances of the music industry put me at a disadvantage. So I listened to the guys and sometimes what I accepted as gospel was just their opinion. Happens in Toastmasters too, right? Sometimes they were right, but sometimes they were wrong. And they all said, oh, we want to be involved in the business. We want to be involved. So because they lived in Edmonton and Calgary and there was no Zoom back then, well, the only time to have a meeting would be Sunday morning after a late night gig, after they partied all night at Denny's after, during breakfast. I mean, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? So one day I was chatting with my dad and no, I was, I was complaining. And he said to me, he said, son, he said, you love this Beatles thing. But he said, at the end of the day, it's just a business. And he said, you know how to run a business. So I had to learn that business. And in fact, we, we got a major fundraiser event because we actually went out and helped the sponsor find a way to pay for the band. And they say they got all the money from all the ticket sales. There's many projects here that can apply. I think maybe if I better understood my communication style and one thing, and I think a lot of you can relate to this, that artists and musicians are not the same as IT people and salespeople, right? And maybe perhaps I could have been a little better at setting expectations. And within pathways, perhaps I could have taken a path and just worked through it step by step. I could have made my journey a little bit easier. And I think this is why it, it saddens me. And I think it sometimes actually infuriates me that when I hear from longtime members about, oh, Pathways is so awful. And why do they go away from the manuals? Okay, look, can Basecamp use improvement? Yes, of course it can. Can the interface be rather cumbersome to navigate? Yes. But the content, some of the content is absolutely phenomenal. I'll give you a great example. The research project. I've heard many people deliver that research project because it's early in the path. Half the time they pick stuff from Wikipedia. They use unauthoritative sources. They will cite and say according to statistics, but they won't give any detail. Or I'll hear people say, hear people say well, I already know how to do all that stuff. So I just gave the project. But they haven't, they never really read through it because that project is really comprehensive. It shows you how to determine authoritative sources. There's even a quiz. And I didn't even get 100% the first time around. Shows you how to properly do citations. And did you know that that project offers seven ways to present research? Chronological, comparative, topical, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I never learned any of that stuff, not even in university. Yes, and I see something saying preach on Greg Gazin, yes. <laughs> but it's true though. 
it's a matter of changing your mindset and really looking at things a different way. And I know for us, yeah, okay, it's hard to change some of our old habits. But after I finished DTM number six and went on to seven, which was going through pathways, I made a commitment to myself that I would try to always look at each project with fresh eyes and try not to assume that I know this already. It works. And it turns out that I didn't know everything already. And you're right, I will get off my soapbox. Thank you for the people in the comments in the chat. Nevertheless, some of you might be wondering, I guess, yes, you're wondering, what's happened to Rubber Soul? So let me, <laughs> as I continue on, let me just show you a couple of, uh, let me just show you a couple of pictures here. There's the band Rubber Soul, as you can see, they started off as the early Beatles. Here's the CD that we released, the live CD at Festival Place, and actually we licensed the Beatles music. And then eventually we expanded. Here's our John. Pretty amazing, hey? We expanded the show. So they started like 62, 66 era. I want to hold your hand. She loves you. And then eventually they moved on to Let It Be, Hey Jude, et cetera. And the, the fellow, the guy who plays Paul was right-handed, but he learned how to play left-handed with a left-handed Hofner bass, the same one McCartney uses because McCartney's left-handed. And look at that. So they were actually pretty amazing. And here's a little shot of yours truly and uh, Steve Jobs. The rare time he actually wears a suit, we've always seen him in turtlenecks and the jeans, right? It got to a point where the small venues couldn't hold us. We started doing larger shows and festivals. We actually rebranded. We started doing theater. So we rebranded from Rubber Soul, the Canadian tribute to Rubber Soul, the, uh, the Beatles experience. But as it turned out, like the Beatles, a couple of the lads had irreconcilable differences. So at the end of the day, the Magical Mystery Tour just to come to him. Now, as for Jimmy, I haven't heard from him in decades. And uh, But I Googled him, and he's living in Southern Alberta somewhere. So obviously, he's now happy with the hockey team. And I know all of you are Calgary's first place in the, in the division or in the conference. As for yours truly, many of you know that I experienced a, a major loss last year. It's times like this, and it's opportunities like this, and my Toastmasters family, D99, D42, and all the others that honestly have really helped me have really helped me get back into the saddle and find some normalcy in my life. In closing, I'm hoping that my little journey here of life-changing moments has actually given you some food for thought. And I want to leave you with, with one thing that I do, one thing that I do and something perhaps that, that you can do to try to ensure that some of those moments don't pass you by. Every time you have an inkling or a thought that's meaningful or profound, not, oh, I need milk. And if it's in the middle of the night, yeah, I yeah, know you might need milk in the middle of the night. If it's in the middle of the night or in the shower, write it down. But don't analyze it, don't judge it, don't question it. Just write it down. Of course, I have to write things down because as I get older, I forget things. But then you want to make sure that you take time to think and take time to reflect. I know we're all busy 24-7. If you have to, block time in your calendar, right? A quiet time. Go to a shop coffee shop. Heaven forbid you turn off your phone, right? But turn off your phone or do like I do and go for a walk. In fact, last week I went for a walk and I was listening to a podcast and there was a gentleman, he's a keynote speaker out of Australia. His name is Vin Jiang. He had this quote, which was perfect for this moment. Acquisition of information yields satisfaction. It's the application of it that gives fulfillment. The application of it that gives fulfillment. 
So if you really want to make that change or make the best of a change that's just been dumped on you or thrown at you, you just need to take action. But not just any action for the sake of doing it. Do it with purpose. Do it with intention. Do it with real action. Hemingway said, never confuse movement with action. When it came to Calgary, I didn't even realize it back then. I'm realizing it looking back. I could have just read up on Calgary. I could have researched ad nauseum. I could have taken a holiday. But no, I moved to Calgary. And you know what? Don't take the journey by yourself. Get help. Obviously, Toastmasters can help you nourish your mind. Your Toastmasters family can help nourish your soul. And you just never know what's going to happen. As we wrap up, I want to challenge, even you seasoned Toastmasters, I want to challenge each and every one of you to sometime between now and the end of the conference, book a time to reflect, maybe Sunday, maybe Monday, to reflect back on what you've experienced over the course of this weekend. Because you never know that something you might hear, something you might do, something you might see, just might, quote, strike the right note. It's going to trigger something inside of you, which could be your next life-changing moment. And if you harness it and you take action, in the words of Mr. Spock, you will live long and prosper. Back to you, Mr. Toastmaster. Enjoy your conference, everyone. Nothing like a great, amazing Jimmy story, Greg, and nothing like a great keynote from you. I can understand now why Keith was so excited to hear you talk. My first time, and I am full of joy. And this Thursday, Feel Good Thursday, is just getting hot. I want to acknowledge Katrina in the chat. She says, what an amazing keynote to kick off our conference. Thank you so much, Greg. Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies. A new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com.